This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Okay, we begin our last Sunday here on, on Sin City. Um, I, I can truthfully say it's, it's been a good series, I believe. Just to let you know the truth, and I know these things aren't always easy, but there's significance on why we teach on it. And so we'll begin in John 5. Let me read you a proverb. I'm, I'm big on the Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 19 says, Fools mock at sin. They laugh at sin. And so we're going to study that in a little more depth today. I believe it's going to be really, really impacting. So we start here in John 5, and in this passage here, there's a, a pool in, in Bethesda. Now what would happen is when the water would begin to stir in this pool, the very first one that was in it would get healed. Well, there was a man who'd had a sickness and infirmity for 38 years, and he had never been able to get in it. And then one day, Jesus came on the scene, and Jesus healed him. Now, I want to highlight that right there, that Jesus healed him. Uh, Hebrews 13 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's still a healer. Now, some significant things happen, and I just want to read one verse here. This is John chapter 5, verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him, the man he had healed, and he found him in the temple, found him in the church, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, that's an interesting statement that Jesus made. Sin no more. If you'll note there, he didn't say go and sin some more. He said sin no more, lest a worse state or condition come upon you. So why would Jesus say this? I believe right here he's revealing the consequences of sin. The destruction. Now he doesn't tell us that to beat us up. He tells us that as a warning. Now turn a couple pages to John 8. And as you're turning there... One of our first weeks that we were on this, in Genesis chapter 7, there were the two brothers, actually it's Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, the two brothers Abel and Cain, and remember Cain wouldn't do what was right, and the Lord Jesus said to him, Cain, if you'll right your wrong, if you'll do what's right, if you'll repent of what you did wrong and do what's right, it'll be well with you. But if you don't, Sin crouches at the door, waiting for you. And so we look at this, the Lord told him, do what's right. Now if we were to study that, you would find out that he didn't do what's right. And here's the consequences of sin. He killed his brother, and then he lived a life under a curse. So this is some of the reasons I believe Jesus warns us about the consequences of sin. Chapter 8 of John, verse number 1. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple or to the church, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he told them a lot of funny jokes. No, that's not what he said. He said he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, brought him a woman caught in adultery, caught in adultery, sexual immorality. 
And when they had set her in the midst. Now I want you to get a picture of this, okay? Here Jesus is teaching in the, in the house of God. And the people are coming to hear him. And all of a sudden the religious come walking in. And right in the middle of where they're at, they, they have this woman stand who's been committed, who committed sexual immorality. Now, two things off that I want to point out. Number one, wouldn't that make you want to go to church? What happened if we just round all of us up today and said, come down here and stand here? We'd all be standing there. We're all sinners. But the second area, I look at this and I, when did the church quit accepting sinners? They didn't. And so we got to get a hold of this. Verse 4, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in adultery in the very act. We got her. She was caught in the very act. Now let me throw this in. Just because you didn't get caught in an act of sin, it doesn't make it right. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking to myself, okay? See, oftentimes as human beings, we have this thought, well, if I didn't get caught, it's okay. We've got to understand this. God sees everything. So who are we trying to fool? Verse 4, 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Now here's what we've got to ask off of that question. Did Moses command that? Actually, he did. He said, if you were caught in the act of adultery... You should be stoned to death. Thank God we don't live under the law, huh? But off of this passage right here, they only told half of the truth. They didn't tell the full truth when they said that because this passage, what Moses commanded, is found in Leviticus 20, verse 10. And it says, the adulterer and the adulteress us would both be stoned. So we see here they got this woman, but where's the man at? Here's what I think happened. This man who was in the act with her was probably someone that was very influential or had a lot of power, maybe a lot of money, and they said, hey, let's leave him out of the equation. Let's go after her. So really they were breaking what they said anyhow. Verse 6. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers, though as he did not hear him. Now as Jesus stooped down and he began to write on the ground, my first thinking of what he wrote was this when he heard him. He began to write, Mercy, Grace, Love, Forgiveness, compassion. Now keep reading. That's just my thought. I, I can't prove that, all right? Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin, and he specifically entitles it sin, among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now you're talking about raising the bar. Jesus says, go ahead. If you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Verse 8, and again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Now this time when he wrote on the ground, this is what I believe he did, but I can't prove this, but I want to go ahead and highlight it anyhow. I believe this time when he stooped down, 
he would look at a person, and that very person he would look at, he was close enough to them, and he would write their sin on the ground. And then he'd just kind of look at them like, who are you trying to kid? Now what would happen in here with us if we were the religious and we begin to do that? So he raises the bar and he says that. Verse 9, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. Now pay attention to that right there, being convicted of their conscience. How does that play into Scripture with me and you? That's John 16, 8. That God said He sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict us of sin. That's a good thing, okay? But actually in John 16, verse 12 in that passage, it said that He would lead us or show us the truth. So His convicting of us of sin was to get us on the right track, to get us back to truth. And so He says right here, they were convicted by their conscience. And they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. That's a great statement right there. This woman who had been caught red-handed in the act of adultery responds to Jesus as Lord. No one, Lord. And you got to think about this. She's looking at him in person and she looks up when he says it and she says, No one, Lord. A known sinner. And note as the story goes on, Jesus doesn't look at her and say, Oh, woman, don't call me Lord. you got to go and clean yourself up before you can do that. No, anytime a sinner comes to Jesus and responds to him as Lord, man, his mercy and his compassion come toward us. And he says this, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. But look how the verse ends. Go and sin no more. Now, would Jesus tell us that just to beat us up and say, you got to quit doing it? No, that's his love. Because Jesus fully understands that when we get over into sin, there's consequences. And just like Cain experienced destruction, it's the same for me and you. Go and sin no more. Note again, he didn't go and say, go and sin some more. It's okay. Go and sin no more. Now, how can we do that? Look at verse number 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So guess what Jesus tells us? Just start following me. Just start following me. Hang out with me. Fellowship with me. Get in the Word. Get around godly people. And the more I follow Jesus the more of the darkness in my life gets squeezed out. How many of you found that out? Let me help you with this today. Christians aren't people who don't sin no more. Christians are just people who sin less. How many of you found that out? The longer I go on this, the less I sin. And when I do sin, and it bothers me. 
I don't want to do that. When sin bothers you, that's a good thing. When sin doesn't bother you, that's not a real good thing. Let me give you another proverb. This is Proverbs 21, verse 6, or verse 16. It says, A man who strays from the way or the path of understanding will come to rest in the assembly or the company of the dead. The man who wanders from the path of understanding. So this tells me here, I had to have understanding in my life at one time. I had to understand some of the truth and things of God. But he said, when I stray from that or I wander from that, I end up in the company of the dead. A warning there, don't stray from the things of God. Now go way, way back in the New Testament into 2 Peter. Way back there at the end, 2 Peter chapter 2. And as you get there, I'm going to begin in 2 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Strong warnings here. But there will also, but there will also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, almost every week that we've been in this, whether it was the Lord Jesus, whether it was the Apostle Paul, now we see the Apostle Peter, he warns of false prophets and teachers. How do you discern that? Does what they teach, does it align with the Word of God? Does what they teach, does it point you to godliness? To live a life that, that's uh, uh, presentable to God. Does, does the word Christian, does that befit my lifestyle? See again, if it's not leading you to line your life with the word of God, you better get a hold of it. So he says, this is going to be taking place. And he says, you will, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They substitute their self-willed opinions for the Word of God. They confess their opinions independent of the truth. Now he warns us here. He goes on to say, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So again, when we begin to see in here, destruction is a, is a highlight of sin. Verse number two. Now watch this. Whoop. And many... Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. They'll begin to distract us or get us off track because they won't preach the truth. By covetousness or greed, they will explode you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber or it will not slumber. So we begin to see here this word uh, destruction playing here over and over again. So we see the Apostle Peter, he gives a strong warning here. Same chapter, verse 18. Talking about false teachers. For when they speak great and swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. When you see the word allure right there, it, it literally means that they have have uh, taught us things that aren't truthful. 
They've led us astray with deceit. So he says, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness or vile passions, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So guess what he begins to talk? There's people that are living for God, but they begin to listen to these false teachers, and because of that, they live in error. The word error means always in moral conduct or in doctrine. That's how they're going to try to get you off. Now keep reading. This passage is incredible. Verse number 19. While they promise them liberty or freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome by him, also he is brought into, into bondage. And so when you see that, he begins to give us great warning right here again. Verse 20. For if they have escaped the pollutions or the sin of the world, how? Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now we've got to really dig into this right here. Think about what he just said. For if they've escaped the pollutions or the sins of the world, how do you escape the sins or the pollution of the world? Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what begins to happen? The more me and you hear the Word of God, the more knowledge we get through the Lord Jesus. And the more knowledge we get, we begin to live on that. And so what he's talking about is people here that are born again. If you've escaped things because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's saying at one time in your life, you knew Jesus. You got knowledge about Jesus. And so right here, he's addressing the church. Now watch what he says. They are again, I like that, they are again entangled in them. This is a believer who again is entangled in the pollutions or the sin of the world. In other words, they've gone back to those things. They believed in Jesus, but they got caught up in these again. And he said, and are overcome by the pollutions and the sin. Now watch this. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. The latter state or the latter condition is worse for them than in the beginning or if they would have never received Jesus as Lord. Now he fills in the blank a little more in verse 22. Watch or verse 21. Watch this. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Wow. So you know what? You're getting warning right there. It's very powerful that we hear the word of God and we give our heart to Jesus. That's why we're to run the race with endurance. He's saying the consequences are incredibly bad and dangerous when I live that way. Now I'm going to highlight this scripture to give you a little insight how this plays out. In Luke 11, starting in verse 24, it says that when a person gets born again, his house or the inside of him becomes clean. But if he doesn't fill that inside up with the things of God, it gets bad. What do I mean by fill that up with the things of God? i got to get into the Word of God, 
and allow the Holy Spirit to come on the inside of you. Begin to hunger for the things that God said, oh Lord, fill me up. But it says in there that when I don't do that, that spirit or that old evil demon that used to be a part of my life, it says he will come back with seven spirits that are more wicked than him. This is a warning here. He said the consequences would be incredibly bad. So bad that if you'll remember this, four weeks ago, this was one of my main scriptures, verse 22. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog will return to his own vomit, and a sow having washed her walling in the mire. In other words, a scrub pig heads back for the mud. So for me and you, that if I don't stay on that track, or if I happen to get off that track, if I won't repent and come back to the Lord, I go back to that old state as a dog returns to his vomit. So it's incredible for us when we repent of our sins and say, Lord, I want to live for you. i got to have you. See, once you see biblically, guys, what we've been talking about for four weeks, how, how significant this is. Turn a couple pages back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to really hone in on this this morning. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Okay, I want to help you a little bit with those wording. Gird up. That word gird up, it literally means like you got a belt on and you cinch that dude up. Why do you cinch your belt up? Because you don't want your britches to come down. We're going to do some plumbers rear the people. He says, gird up your mind. Protect your mind, your thought life. Protect it. Now, it's, it's amazing here when Peter uses this word, you can tell, he's saying, listen, gird it up to protect your mind and be sober. Gird up, be sober. That word sober there means to be morally alert. Don't put your guard down. He's given us some significance here because this is going to be a problem if we don't. So he goes on to say, if you don't get anything this morning, get this one, okay? Highlight 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Now watch. And rest or set your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, God's grace is an empowerment to help us. So he just tells me and you, the way I get help is I ask God to grace me in my mind and to grace me in, in my moral activities, my behaviors. Now what happens to us as human beings, and I'm, I'm going to use myself as an example, there's times in my life where I try to do everything out of my abilities, out of my strength. You know, we as human beings, we think, man, we're so durable, we're invincible. But when I try to do everything out of my strength, I fail, and I fail, I become frustrated. 
How many of you ever been frustrated? Man, I get frustrated. And the Lord's saying, hey, hey, my grace is sufficient even in your weakness. My grace. Is... So he said, set fully, not partially, not only. He said, fully. Call upon the grace of the Lord. Father God, grace me today. First Peter 5, 5, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Grace me. See, what happens in our life? God never expected us to do out of our own abilities. I don't care what, what hat you're wearing, what stage you're in life, ask God to grace you. When you feel overwhelmed as a mom or a dad, grace me, Father God. When you feel overwhelmed as a believer, grace me. See, I think the Lord just waits for us to ask. Verse 14. As obedient children. As obedient children. So right there tells me, with the word obedient children, tells me I just can't do anything I want, or he wouldn't have said obedient children. John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, obey me. Luke 6, 46 says this, why do you call me Lord and not do what I ask you to do? When's the last time we ask him to grace us to obey? I don't know about you, I want to please God. Grace me to obey you, Lord. And not only grace me to obey me, uh, obey you, grace me to obey you with a cheerful heart. I mean, there's people, there's Christians that, that they, they, they obey, but they obey God mad. I don't want to obey. It's not fair how we have to live. And we ought to be so joyful. Thank you for grace me to be godly in an ungodly world. Grace me today to be the salt of the earth. Now, in the Amplified in verse 14, where it says, as obedient children, it says, you must live as obedient children. Not conforming yourselves, that word conforming means molding, shaping yourselves, to the former lusts, to the formal evil desires, as in your ignorance. What does that mean? Before we were born again, we were ignorant to the knowledge of God. And so something begins to happen when I give my heart to Jesus. And he said, don't live in those former ways. Verse 15. But as he, Jesus, who called you as holy, you also be holy. And I can tell you right now, to build a mega church, they'll tell you, don't ever mention holiness in your church. We ought to get rid of that. The word holiness itself is always rendered in sanctification or to be separate to God in our personal conduct and even in our manner of living. He said, be holy. Be holy. And so if the Lord tells us, be holy, we probably ought to be holy. And how are we to be holy? Look what he said. In all your conduct... In all your manners of living, in your behaviors. But it doesn't matter. Well, if it didn't matter, why does he tell us that? So here's the teaching that goes on on holiness. When you get born again, Jesus sanctifies you and declares you as holy. That is true. That is a true statement. But when he separates us, we don't just live under the disposition of holiness to live however I want. I'm declared to be holy, to be separate from the world. So there's a teaching that goes on and says, we're holy so we can just do whatever we want. 
Let me help you a little bit with that this morning. So many times in the New Testament, when we get born again, it's likened to a marriage. If you were to look at Ephesians 5, it would rec- or, uh, review Jesus or talk about Jesus as being the, the groom and we're the bride. So we're married to Jesus. So I just celebrated my 37th anniversary last week, and God's been good to me. But 37 years ago, me and Shelly had a wedding ceremony, and we stood before each other, and we said our vows to each other. Through thicker and thinner, through hair and no hair. No, that was not in there. We said our vows to each other. To each other, before God, before family, before friends. And so at the end of the ceremony, the minister said, Now by the authority invested in me under the head of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. At that very moment, I became legally married. I could look at Shelly and say, we're married, we're married. But what would she have thought if I would have looked at her and said, we're married now, but dear, I just want you to know, from this day forward, I'm going to live however I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. And you better get used to it. See, to a degree, that's how we've treated holiness. We want to crawl in bed with the world while still confessing Jesus is Lord. Woo. So now we see holiness in a different manner. Now look what he says in the very next verse. He doesn't quit there. He goes on to say, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Listen to this verse, and you may want to write it down. This is Hebrews 12, 14. It says, Pursue holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You want to grasp the the distinction in that? No holy, no seeing the Lord. Be holy. So now we've got to begin to look at a holiness a little different. Verse 17. Why? And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Let me help you with that just a little bit. Every one of us in here are going to be judged by God. And if you notice what he said, without partiality, Jew, Gentile, male, female, we're going to be judged. You're not the exception, you're not the exemption. You're going to be judged, and I'm going to be judged. And pay real close attention how we're going to be judged. According to one's work, his actions, his deeds. And he ends in this and he says, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So when people say, what does it matter how I live? I've accepted Jesus, Lord of my life. Maybe we ought to look at that verse. 
I'm going to be judged according to my behaviors. I'm going to be judged according to the way I conducted myself here on earth, whether I obeyed God or I didn't. Wow. So now you begin to see some of the reasons we really, really, really need to hear the truth. Because I would hate for this thing to end up, and it's going to end up. It's going to end. Actually, where we started at when he said that the false prophets and the teachers will do this and this and this, the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more it will intensify. This is happening. So we got to know biblically, this is what's going to happen. This is where we stand. Now, I'm going to end this morning in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And as I I look back at all my notes over this, if I had to do it all over again, this would probably have been the verse I'd have started with, but I didn't, so we'll end with it. Ephesians 4, verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Christ, who is the head, Christ Jesus. Now I can stand before you today and I can tell you right now, I've spoke the truth in love. I didn't come after anyone. I don't want everyone to think, man, pastor's after me. I'm going to speak the truth in love, just like Paul said. Not to harm us, but to help us. And it's interesting right here that he says, don't don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Just because someone has, has pastor or evangelist or prophet on their name, you better pay attention to what they're preaching. Let me help you with something today. We live in a society where we're bombarded with the opportunity to hear the gospel. You can go home right now, and you can pick up TBN, you can pick up Daystar, you can pick up every one of those. People will say this, I don't have to go to church to hear the word of God. That's true, you don't. But every TV program that you choose to watch, and every podcast that you choose to listen to, You decide what you want to hear or not hear. So when you hear a podcast and you begin to watch it and it deals with sin, you know what most people do? I don't have to listen to that. So we've become selective Christians, itching ears. And so when you come to church here on Sunday mornings, you don't know what pastor's going to preach. And I will pray and I will listen to the Spirit of the Lord. That's why this stuff is so dangerous. And that's what I begin to see in some of this area. We think just because we listen to Brother Longtongue on TBN, he's got it. You don't do life with him. Something happens when I learn to do life with people and we have to look at each other because if you only listen to a broadcast, there's no accountability, baby. 
But something happens when I have to come and I have to look at you guys. And most of you have ever been around me outside of this pulpit, you'll hear this. He's the same whether he's in the pulpit, out of the pulpit, in the office. You can ask my staff. I don't put on a, a coat. I don't put on a cape and come running in here. I love to pray. I love to seek God. But we're going to teach you the truth in love. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.